Join with me in the book of Malachi. A few weeks ago, we started this message. Um, and, you know, how we can have victory when it seems like love is gone, when love is lost in our marriage. And we started talking about marriages, and I said, well, I'll finish up the next week, and I forgot that I was supposed to be teaching the youth, and then we were gone to youth camp. And anyways, then I was sick last week, so we're going to finish it tonight. I thought, man, Lord, you got a funny sense of humor. I must need this on my 20th anniversary, so we're going to have fun. But the reality is, I, I told Chris, I said, I love being married to you. It's a lot of fun. But that's not every day, Amen. The reality is there are some days where being married to our spouse sometimes is a lot of work. Y'all aren't going to say anything, are you? You're like, I'm not saying nothing to that preacher. <laughs> Only the guys speak up where their wives are not in here at the moment. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is a good marriage takes a lot of work, doesn't it? A good marriage re requires that each of us are willing to give in marriage. And as we look at the book of Malachi, there's some parallels here that we can draw from the situation in Israel's life and in Israel's perpetual cycle of forgetting God and abandoning the Lord and some of the things, the sins that they had fallen into and our life and our uh, relationship with our spouse. And listen, you may be here married today 50 plus years. Can I get a, anybody to raise up their hand? 50 plus years of marriage. Let's give the hand to these folks. Amen. That is awesome. We praise the Lord for you and your great testimony, your faithfulness. But you would probably be the first to tell us it's not all been roses and, and patty cakes and wonderful things, you know. There's been tough days, but it's been worth it. And that's, that's one of the things that sometimes we really lose sight of is that a good marriage takes work, but the work is worth it. It's worth the effort to invest in a good marriage. And, and so I thank the Lord that God's given us some great people. And so as we see here uh, in Malachi, he just encourages us here uh, regarding coming back to the, the foundational things. Now, as we do so, I'm going to give you a quick recap of where we've been. But before we do that, let me just kind of, uh, we're going to read Malachi chapter 2, verses 11 through 17 here uh, in our text today. We're going to uh, just give you a little bit of a background on this text as we jump into the recap and we go forward with uh, with. With our material tonight. So uh, Malachi chapter 2 verse 11 says, Judah had dealt treacherously and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, received it with good will at your hand. Yet you say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did, he not, uh, did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed, therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away, for one covereth violence with his government, saith the Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words." Yet you say, wherein have we wearied him? When you say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? Let's stop and pray there together, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for this text of Scripture. Lord, for uh, the reminder, Lord, of uh, just the value of, of investing in our relationship with our spouse. 
Lord, thank you that you love us with an everlasting love and there's grace and mercy and forgiveness here. And so help us, help our marriages, our families, in our church. Uh, Lord, those that are struggling, maybe those that are going through some good times or bad times or maybe children that are, may we be an encouragement and a blessing to one another through this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we study this particular passage, this is, we're reminded that the Israelites were often called a stiff-necked people. Uh, and in the book of Malachi, uh, they, God was rehearsing some of the ways that they had offended God. And we find that, uh, obviously here, uh, that, that this is kind of a reflection of, uh, of where we are in America today. But Satan is using some of the same strategies now that he was using then. But as we look at the history of, of the people of Israel, what we're finding is, is that these inhabitants of Judah, having already spent years in captivity because of their wickedness, still had not learned their lessons. They still uh, were going back to the same thing. And so this particular sin that was going on here was that Judah had, uh, had uh, divorced their wives, their Jewish wives, and married wives that were from uh, the surrounding nations. They had forsaken uh, those wives and they married ones that they wanted from the land instead. And so, uh, obviously, here God is dealing with them in this book and He's dealing with them uh, through this prophet and, and He is teaching us some important things about marriage. And one, let me just say, no marriage is without problems. Uh, you know, we all, at times, we all have problems. The, the pastor's marriage has problems. Pastor's the first one says, that's right. Uh, because, uh, you know, because he and Shirley have had problems over the years. Nothing that God couldn't take care of, amen? Uh, I know Pat, Kristen and I, well, there's been good times and there's been bad times. We all go through these things together. But I'm thankful that the Lord is faithful and that there are no new problems uh, that we have to deal with. It seems like these problems are problems that oftentimes come up again and again. And as we look in verse 11, we see, well, God says, Judah had dealt treacherously. And it seems that these inhabitants of Judah had spent many years uh, just forsaking the Lord, and they defied themselves by worshiping false deities, and God had warned them over and over again about their sin, but they would not listen to God. And so God brings them to this place, and He warns them uh, that they needed to turn to God. And so one of the very first problems they had was they disregarded God's holiness. Uh, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago or so. And, and they just had a total disregard for God's holiness. In verse 11, it says, Judah dealt treacherously, an abomination is committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. Now, we saw this in Solomon's life. Solomon was a man who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And oftentimes, uh, we, we read later uh, in the scriptures where he would build uh, uh, temples to appease his uh, many wives and the multiplicity of gods that they worshipped. And he brought this into the nation and led his heart astray. And so we saw that there was a great problem as a result uh, of Solomon's willing to compromise in this area. And I believe that that's why God is so, it's so important for us to remind ourselves of uh, 1 Corinthians. It says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers uh, because God wants us to be able to yoke together with someone who loves the Lord just like we do, someone who uh, is passionate about Jesus Christ just like we are. And together, it's like uh, Proverbs 17 says, iron sharpeneth iron as the countenance of a friend sharpeneth his friend. And so we see that same act happening in the marriage. Oftentimes, uh, when I have a young couple come to my office and say, Pastor, we think we want to get married. One of the first questions I ask them is, how does he or how does she help you become like the Lord? 
Why? Because I want them to think about this. This is a spiritual thing. Uh, this walk together is a spiritual walk as much as it is anything else. And, and it's so valuable to us when we can find a, a wife that strengthens her husband you know, in godliness or a husband that strengthens his wife in godliness. There's a great th thing that happens there. But Judah had forsaken all of that. She had, uh, they had followed after and found gods, uh, or excuse me, wives that followed these false gods, and they were led totally astray. And so they had forsaken the holiness of the Lord, and they had forsaken these things. And so God gives us the first problem is when we forsake the holiness of God, then, we're, then we open ourselves up to a world of hurt. The second problem we dealt with last time was there was an unrepentant spirit. In Malachi 2, once again, we see God's chosen people who have a relationship with God, but yet they come to God not with repentance, uh, but, and as a matter of fact, the Bible talks about their tears in verse number 13, and this you have done, again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, but there was no true change in their life. They went back to the same sin over and again and again. There was no true uh, repentance for what was going on. Listen, if there's sin in a marriage, if there's sin in a relationship, it will destroy that relationship. Well, there is a, there's a pandemic today, and I'm not talking about COVID. There is something that is going on with, uh, with Christians, uh, and both male and female Christians today, and where people are totally immersed in the sin of pornography. And I tell you, it's a dangerous thing. And when that thing is hidden, that thing will thrive in the dark. And the only way for a man or a woman to get real freedom from that is to bring it into the light, let it be covered under the blood, and, and to seek healing and, and reconciliation and have true repentance to turn completely from it. That's the only way to ever really get healing from that. And it's a, it's a terrible thing that this, this has become in the church. But God calls us, says, listen, church of God, let's make sure that we uh, don't allow sin into our lives. The third thing that they had was broken vows. Uh, if you look at number 14, as they say, yet they say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. He's talking about these uh, women that they married early on in their, uh, in their lives. They were Jewish women, uh, but they divorced them so they could marry the strange women of strange uh, lands uh, who followed strange gods. Suddenly, their wives didn't look so desirable, and they wanted what was appeasing, what the world had to offer. They wanted everything else because everyone else was doing it. Listen, but when, they, when we share our vows... Before God, it is a covenant, it is a promise, it is a commitment to God until death would do we part. And you listen, you, there may be some here tonight that said, well, Pastor, I've been divorced. You're just making me feel six inches tall. You're right, but God offers forgiveness, and I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel small, but I'm just trying to encourage you to strengthen what God's given you now. Encourage those things that God's given you now so that you never go back to that again. Those who've walked through that path will, will testify it was so extremely painful. Oftentimes when people walk through divorce, they think, man, it's, this is, this is going to be easy. It's a lot easier to just divorce than it is just to continue, doing, uh, to continue living with her or continue living with him. It's just divorce is the easy route, but it is never the easy route. It's always so extremely hard for you, any children, or any of your family members. He reminds him uh, there in the end of verse 14, she is, the uh, she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. That's how God saw her. 
That's how God saw this initial relationship. This is a holy, sacred thing. And I just want to encourage you tonight. Let's make sure that we keep uh, our covenant before God holy and sacred before Him. The fourth problem they had was they just had pretentious worship. And what I mean by that is they were, uh, they were uh, obviously coming to worship the Lord. They brought sacrifices. They brought offerings. In verse number 15, they said, uh, Did he not make one? Yet he had residue of the Spirit. And wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. And he's dealing with them in this because God uh, looked at them and he says, Listen, you have... You have won. You uh, have unrepented of sin. Uh, you bring these offerings to me. You have these tears, but they don't mean anything because you're not changing your way. He said, your, your worship is just full of hypocrisy. And he says in verse 17, ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Listen, God, God said, I'm tired of your words. I want to see your actions. I want to see a life that's been transformed, not just a pretentious uh, uh, worship, but a worship that's genuine, a worship that's real because you've done what you need to do on your part. And then problem number five arose, which was erroneous notions. You know, for a lot of couples, the first thing uh, that drew them to their couple was, a, uh, to their spouse was a physical chemistry. Uh, think about uh, when you saw your spouse for the first time. You said, hubba bubba. Maybe you didn't say that. Maybe, maybe you said something else, I don't know. But that attraction that would started there grew into an obsession and you couldn't bear to be apart from them. And so the next thing you know, it was her alluring eyes, it was her, his charming smile. And the next thing you know, they, you ask her to marry her and she says, absolutely. And you're thank, you know, 20 years later, I tell my wife, I said, you know, I'm so thankful you had that one moment of weakness. I'm still the recipient of that because you're trapped now, amen. But all too often, what happens is couples say, well, that feeling is gone. So here's the thing. What do we do when the feeling is gone? What do we do when we say, well, that feeling of love is gone, that, that affection I had for her is, is over, you know, I, it's just not there anymore. You know, we are so wrapped up today in, in our addiction to pleasure in America. And so if we don't feel happy, if we don't feel uh, like we have what we need, then we feel like we have been mistreated. Uh, th the world owes us something, and we are the victim here. Uh, sometimes people will say, you know, she's just not attractive to me anymore. These are some crazy, crazy ideas. Because I don't know about you, but I look in the mirror, and I'm thinking, why does she still like me? <laughs> Wrinkles, pounds, you can go on and on. Health problems come in the picture, and chemistry may be long gone, but that commitment stays. And I want to encourage you there uh, that God calls us to, to continue in that commitment. So we're, those are, that's all the things that we've covered already. Uh, more in detail if you want to go back and listen to the podcast or listen to it on Facebook. Today we're going to look at the number six, an unforgiving spirit. Now this is something that I think is very, very important for us to realize Sometimes it's really easy to hang on to bitterness, and I want to encourage you uh, that this will destroy a relationship. Look in Ephesians with me, uh, chapter number 4. This is not going to be on the screen because it's just, just something free for you tonight. Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bible. And I want you, to, I want you to go there with me. 
As we go back to Ephesians, I'm thankful that God encourages us in this uh, Christian walk here in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and how we can live practically, how we can live for the Lord. This is such a practical way to live for Christ in these three chapters in Ephesians. But he says in verse number 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know, I, I'm thankful that God reminds us here that these things are supposed to be put out of our life. You know, uh, certainly there's going to be times where love, you don't feel that love. Maybe there's some, some, something that has gotten in there. There's a, 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 a disagreement or something that has happened. But a marriage cannot be based on uh, something as uh, changeable as emotion. Because if it was, it, never, it would never endure. You know, in some marriage relationships problems are so severe and have remained unresolved for so long that where, uh, where there was affection before, now there is just loathing. Where there was tenderness before, now there is spite. Where feeling And feelings spring, uh, swing from one end of the spectrum to the other. And so uh, this was the case with King David. I want you to look with me in, in 1 Samuel, uh, or 2 Samuel chapter 6, if you will. And his first wife was Michael, and, and they had everything going for him. King David was enjoying great victories. Uh, Michael was uh, married to this handsome, young, powerful king. They had everything money could buy, uh, but their feelings for one another had diminished. That They had problems in their relationship. And this is what eventually the Bible says about their relationship, 2 Samuel 6, 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. What in the world happened? Probably many factors contributed to this, and we could spend a lot more time on this. But as we think about this, I know that Michael was taken from David for a short time by King Saul. There was other issues that were going on. David took her back and, and the things were never the same. There was that resentment that had built up in her heart, that bitterness, that anger. There was some evil speaking that happened later in this chapter. Uh, listen, uh, it's easy to happen in our life, isn't it? It's easy for in our relationship with our spouse. We get busy. Man, she's busy taking care of kids, doing housework. She's, she's, uh, she's, she's taking care of all the things that are going on around the, the, uh, the home. He's busy building a, a, a job, building his career and all these things. And they're just living two separate lives, living under the same roof. And couples will sometimes say, there's nothing there. We've grown apart. We just don't have anything in common anymore. And this is a very, very dangerous place to be. Because this statement creates an avenue for Satan to come in and to allow you to be tempted and drawn away of your own lusts. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. So what do you do? Well, Matthew 6, 21, Jesus Christ was dealing with our relationship with the Lord. He was dealing with our relationship with, with God specifically but this truth is still the same in our marriage. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, this biblical principle is you love what you invest in. What are you investing in? Are you investing in your spouse? Are you investing in him or her to make, make the most of this relationship? Listen, you're not going to get more out of the relationship than what you're willing to put into it. 
And this leads us directly into problem number seven, and that's selfishness. This is oftentimes what happened in Malachi chapter 2 is these, uh, these uh, men of Judah, they wanted these other wives, they wanted these other women, they divorced, put away their wives so they could have these women of the world. And this was, this was a very selfish notion. You know, for 140 years, America has seen an increase of the divorce rate every single year. 140 years. Now, at the same time, it's interesting to note that at the same time, there has been an increase in the focus on the gaining of material possessions. Think about this. Many of you were alive in 1950. The average house in 1950 was 1,000 square foot. We looked at a house that was 1,000 square foot. We walked in, and I said, I don't even know how, where you get like two steps and you're at the back door. <laughs> but today, the average square foot of a house is 2,500 square foot. You know, selfishness is the nemesis to a healthy marriage. It's like kryptonite, if you will, if you're a Superman fan. People often say they get, people often get married for selfish reasons to start with. Uh, they think that, man, this guy's rich. I'm going to marry him and I'll be, I'll be set for life. Or, man, she's a looker. I'm going to keep her. She's going to make me look good when I go out in the crowd. And oftentimes we come to this relationship with selfishness already in our heart. I, I'm going to marry her for what she'll, she'll give me or I'll marry him for what he'll give me. Instead of, of committing to loving, instead of committing to honoring, instead of uh, committing to this through selfishness, sickness and health and poverty and wealth and all of those things, instead of putting our spouse first, it becomes me first. Last, my last problem, then we'll get into some good stuff here at the end. So there's some marital discontentment that happens. So let me just, if I can, give a scenario. John comes into his office one uh, Monday morning and he's mad at himself because, man, on the way, on the, uh, on the way out the door, he and his wife had another fight. Uh, they had gone to bed angry with one another the night before, and he left things undone with his wife. And that morning, he rushed out the door, and his wife was standing there with a crying baby on her hip, and, and she had another one clinging on her, the edge of her skirt, and her hair was, you know, interesting. And he said it just, the, the tension was thick. You could cut it like a knife. And, and it, as he, he comes in the office, and he sits down, and he just, oh. And about that time, here comes Julie from the next office over. And she says, bad morning. And he says, well, you know. He says, and she sits down and says, well, I'm all ears. You know what happens next. He begins to pour out and she begins to pour out and becomes, become to share uh, emotional intimacy with one another that leads to he's a, a, eventually a physical intimacy. This scenario, unfortunately, is not uncommon. Matter of fact, this happens almost every single day in America. What happens? Maybe that initial excitement about marriage has faded and maybe we put on uh, a few extra pounds. Maybe there's pressures from the career. Maybe there's all these things that take a toll on a relationship. Kids come into the picture and I love our children. But, but listen, if you're thinking, man, I think I'll, we'll have kids and that'll solve all our problems in our marriage. Let me just tell you, that does not solve problems. It reveals problems. Because it brings more stress in that relationship. And I'm so thankful for the children God's given us. And I wouldn't trade them for anything. I love it. My grandma used to say, I, I, you, you couldn't pay me a million dollars for them, and I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for them. <laughs> but we have, two, we have a choice in this. Do we stay and work it out, or do we take the easy way out, the quote-unquote easy way out and jump ship? 
just say the easy way, what people often say, jumping ship, leaving, divorce. Man, this oftentimes looks simple at the beginning, doesn't it? You look at it and you think, man, this is going to get easy. This is the easy way. It'll be easy for everyone. She'll be happy. I'll be happy. The kids, they'll work it out. They'll be fine. But what happens is the decision becomes harder and harder, and the results of that become harder and harder to live with. But doing what's right working it out, going to get some counseling, working through what you need to, following the Lord, being committed, that looks impossible in those moments. But it becomes progressively easier as you submit to God. You see, our culture's created a people that are me first in everything. It's all about me. We have an attitude of we want to be happy all the time. We're never content with our situation. And this all adds up to people who lack the character to make the investment necessary to have a good marriage. What happens, someone says, well, I found someone else. What that really means is, I want a way out. And if that's your, your way of thinking, let me just say it's a sinful and destructive thought pattern. Malachi, Micah chapter 2 uh, excuse me, Malachi chapter 2, God says, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Listen, as Christians, let's be countercultural. Let's choose to say, listen, I'm going to be what, uh, we're going to stay committed to this. And even though the world may run headlong into the abyss of, of this moral degradation, let us continue on the path that God's called us to. Let us continue to develop a real and vibrant walk with God and guard ourselves against any illicit relationships. How do we do that? One, there's only one person I want to share my innermost feelings with, and that's none of you. Because my wife's serving somewhere in the church tonight. She's the only person that gets to know those innermost feelings. Choose. I'm not gonna I'm gonna share that with anybody else. That's only gonna be for my spouse. Secondly, they we call it currently, or they called it a few years uh, a couple years ago, the Mike Pence rule. But it's been along a long time, around a long time, uh, longer than uh, Mike Pence. It was known as the moderate, uh, Modesto Manifesto or the Billy Graham rule, other things like that as well. But it's simply saying, listen, I'm not gonna spend time with a uh, a person of the opposite sex when there's no one else around. I'm gonna make that commitment. It will protect you, it will protect your marriage, and it will protect your testimony. Because I, if I I'm, if I'm still remember right, 1 Thessalonians 5 still says, avoid the appearance of evil. All right, so, so let, me just, let me talk about some positive things here. So what can we do? Because we don't want to stay there. First off, the Bible says in Proverbs 4, 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So God guards us, calls us to guard our heart. And so there are some, some things I want to share with you that we can do to be able to uh, protect this. Maybe your marriage is struggling tonight, and so I want to share quickly, i got 15 minutes, six steps where if you've lost some ground, you can regain it. If your marriage is strong, you can make it stronger. And so if you listen to those eight warnings, and maybe God is leading you tonight to get some things right with Him, I urge you to do it before it becomes too late. So let's look at this very quickly, these six things. First off, make sure you have a personal relationship with God. God made within each of us a spiritual vacuum, and it's a God-shaped hole that He created that only He can fill. And so the problem is that we try to fill that hole with everything else. It can be alcohol, it can be drugs, it can be people, it can be uh, illicit relationships. All of these things, we try to fill that in there. And I'm talking to church members on a Wednesday night. I recognize that. And so 
maybe that's not you, but let me just say that make sure that your relationship with God is a priority in your life. I always tell my wife, you're number two in my life. No one, no one else has that spot. God has number one. You get number two. Everyone else comes after her. She's the number one human relationship I have in my life. Even my children are not as important as she is. And now, wives are like, oh, did he just say that? Yes, because the children will leave you. You still have to be married after the children are gone. So, so invest in your relationship with your spouse. The number one relationship you have that's human. Outside of that, it's the Lord. Secondly, consider God's perspective on divorce. What does God say? Imagine if you had a conversation with God. God, what do you think about divorce? He says, I hate it. Well, of course you do, but what about in special cases? For instance, what if the husband and the wife had tried to make it work for years, but, you know, it just can't seem to find common ground? You know how it is. They're always bickering, they're fighting, they're battling, even with the children when they're home. They're both fed up. What do you, what do you think about the divorce then? And he still would say, I hate it. What, what, wait, wait a second, God. You know how we reason with God. And so you continue. Lord, what do you think of when the husband turns out to be a slouch, maybe a couch potato, a real, real, well, not a very nice guy? And, and man, she has put up with so much mistreatment all these years, you know, uh, and he's put up with mistreatment. God would still say he hates it. Remember Malachi 2.16, For the Lord, the God of Israel, uh, saith that he hateth putting away. Think about it carefully. Let us be willing to say, listen, God, if you call it evil, I want to call it evil. I want to come along beside you, and I want to remain committed to this thing. Number three, make a list of ways... You have failed in your marriage. It's easy for me to identify the ways my wife has failed, but I don't like to make a list of the ways I've failed. And then you've got to start working on it. Think about all those things that maybe, maybe you've been selfish in this, or maybe you didn't uh, give her attention on your anniversary, or maybe you didn't do this, or that, and, and that, that was, you know, that was personal. But, you know, maybe something is going on and you think, man, I just, I, I know that these are areas that I've not done well for my wife. I want to make sure I fix that. Make sure that you identify those areas that you can fix. Because Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. He reminds us, before he ever says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. He tells us each, submit yourselves unto one another. This is the spirit of humility, the spirit, God, I need to be part of fixing this. God, I need to be part of this in my marriage. Lord, help me to identify the ways that I have failed so that I can strengthen my marriage. I love, uh, there's a, a, a tremendous book called Love and Respect. I think we have it in our library in the church. If you've ever liked to borrow it, you're welcome to do so. Uh, it's by Ralph Emerson. And he talks about this crazy cycle. And, and what happens is he talks about the, the number one need for a wife is to feel loved. And if she doesn't feel it, then she oftentimes won't give the number one need to the husband, which is respect. And so what happens is he doesn't feel respected, so he doesn't give her the love that she wants. And she doesn't feel loved, so she doesn't give respect to him. And he doesn't feel respected, so she, he doesn't give her love. And you see why they call it the crazy cycle. It just keeps on going on and on and on. And there's only one way to break it is for one of them to submit themselves into the other and say, okay, I'm going to be the big person here. And though I don't feel respected or though I don't feel loved, I'm going to do what God calls me to do. I'm going to love my wife unconditionally. Number four, confess your failures to God and to your spouse. James 5, 16, what a great reminder. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
Listen, when any relationship has been breached, the only way to reconcile with those people that have been hurt is with honesty. This is, means full disclosure. I'm going to lay it all out. I'm going to share with you, not in hate, not in vindictive, not as a weapon, not as a hate, but, but, but as this desire that, listen, in love, I want to share with you where I have failed. I want to get things right, and I want to let it go. I want to, and then forgiveness is absolutely key to the whole scenario. Listen, if there's not forgiveness offered, if not, not willing to say, you know what, I, I forgive you, then there will ne never be a change. It takes humility on both work. Marriage is teamwork. It takes two people, a husband and a wife, uh, along with God Almighty, doing the work uh, in your lives and in your marriage. So, fifthly, set your focus in the right place. Anytime a person contemplates leaving a marriage, it is certain that the person is already thinking selfishly without regard for how divorce will impact their spouse or their children. Often we hear from things like, well, I can't stay with her. I don't love him. I don't want to be with this. I want to be with this other person. And, but notice in all of those statements, the word I, it's a selfish way of thinking. So put your focus on the right place. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, the Lord, uh, there's six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are abomination. And look at the very first thing in verse 17, a proud look. And so he, he guards us there. Crushing pride is, is the number one uh, way to be able to overcome in this area. So set your focus on the right place. Not on self, but on the Lord. Put it on God. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Philippians 4.13, you might say, well, I just can't do it. He says, I can do all things through Christ. So again, put your focus on the Lord. And number six, remember that a marriage is a companionship. Malachi 2.14, in our text, he says, Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Man, plan times, fun times for your family. Uh, I, I tell you, it is such a joy to, to spend time with our, our, our family. I remember when we were trying to do this early in our relationship before kids come, and we, would, we were dirt poor when we came to Springfield. And we had so much fun together being poor. We just, we didn't have any money. We'd go to, for fun, we'd go window shopping at the thrift stores and we'd long for the things that we could buy. That's pretty bad. You know you're poor when you're like that. Maybe y'all have been there. And so we, we finally saved up enough money to buy a couple of tennis rackets. Brother, here's my tennis partner right here. We need to go again. And, man, we, we finally saved up some money to buy some tennis rackets, and we go out to the tennis court in Doling Park, and, man, we bought some balls, and we're all excited, and, and we're trying to hit these dumb things, and they're going everywhere but where they're supposed to go. We threw the tennis rackets away and said, that was not our thing. You're going to find there's some things that aren't your thing, but you're going to find some things that are your thing. We enjoy things like hiking. Man, we took a little trip today just to spend uh, some time with the family. And we went hiking, went down the Niangua River and just saw the water there. It was so pretty. We just had a great time together. Listen, it's important to invest in one another in your relationship together. <clears throat> so, what do you do? What do you do if you feel like, man, I just can't go on? Put your eyes on the Lord. Our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even think according to the same power that worketh in you. Don't give up tonight. Maybe you know of a marriage that's struggling, a relationship, someone, maybe your children or grandchildren that are married, and you just see them really struggling. Or maybe you're just concerned as I am for the course of our nation. Listen, let's, let's choose right now to take some time and pray together.
pray together that God would use uh, our, our lives as a testimony, that God would use, protect our marriages in our church. I love our church family, and it grieves me when we see marriages and families going through great times of hurt. And so let's covenant together to pray together for one another.